Today we're going to continue our series in uh, the life of Moses uh, that we've been in for a number of months now. Uh, the story of Moses began in Egypt. Uh, the Israelites are slaves to the nation of Egypt, um, a vast people under harsh oppression to keep them down. Moses died, uh, or Moses was born in a season in which uh, the Pharaoh had uh, ordered genocide of all the male children born to the Israelite nation. Through a miraculous turn of events, uh, God enabled Pharaoh to be raised, actually, or, or Moses to be raised in Pharaoh's household uh, by the daughter of the Pharaoh. About 40 years old, he fled the nation, and he lived as a, as a shepherd for many years before God came to him in a burning bush and said to him, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. Go and, and free your people, my people. And uh, Moses had to be convinced, but he relented, and he went. So he led the, the after 10 plagues, uh, and God worked powerfully. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, which closes in on the Egyptian army behind them as they pass, uh, defeating even the army of Pharaoh. An Israelite heads out to the Mount of God. The Mount of God, called Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai in Scripture, is where we find the Israelites in this moment. Now, I want to prepare you a little bit for the text that we're going to read and also reference a song that we've been singing some recently that Craig and Erica have brought to us, this Christe Eleison song. And it has a disturbing title or disturbing phrase in it, the lover of a cheating spouse. And it's always kind of graded at me, right? It's a very uncomfortable thing. And many here have probably experienced the hurt of that, and we certainly don't want to uh, perpetuate the hurt and feelings experienced in that. But what the song speaks of there is actually quite remarkable and very pertinent to the text we'll be in today in the story of Israel. The lover of a cheating spouse is in fact God, a God who made covenant with an Israelite people, who invited them to walk with him, to live in his ways, that he would bless them, and over and over they turn away from God to other gods or to other things, to their own pursuits in life. Today is one of those stories, and we'll watch as God responds. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was long and coming down from the mountain, let me pause there, I forgot to say, he has been on the mountain for 40 days, uh, communing with God, uh, receiving the law. Uh, the Israelites have seen power and wonders and storms and fires and all this stuff, and Moses is up there now for 40 days, and they're starting to get restless. He had been long coming down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they, had, they handed him and made it into an idol, casting, uh, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. After they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. What in the world is happening 
These are the Israelite people that experienced God so, so recently and in such powerful ways. They experienced God's power in the ten plagues that freed them from Egypt. They experienced him in the crossing of the Red Sea. They experienced him in these pillars of fire and cloud that have been guiding them through the desert to the mountain of God. They experienced him when they were hungry. He gave them manna. When they're thirsty, he gave them water. At the mountain here, they've seen all the signs and wonders. They've received and agreed to covenant. In fact, their response was, we will do everything you say, God. And then such a short time later, they say to a golden calf that they had just made out of their own jewelry, this is your God that led you out of Egypt. What in the world is happening in the minds of the Israelites? What could possess them to so quickly turn away? Forty days of confusion or alienation, and they find themselves already in the hands of another God, or creating another God by their own hands might be a better way to say it. What could possess them to do such a thing? I think the first thing might be false narratives. How often in life, when things don't go the way we plan, when we get confused or frustrated, do we create narratives around that? Do stories begin to pop up in our heads as to what's happening and why, and it blows up into this big thing that it actually is not, but these narratives help us feel in control. We think we know why things are happening, or we think we know what the outcome will be, so we take matters into our own hands. We have to have control because we feel alienated or we feel confused in a moment. So it could be false narratives. They're saying Moses is dead and we're on our own, so make a new God and we'll start a new thing. It could also be groupthink. Have you heard the term groupthink? I can only imagine 40 days into their uh, wait for Moses to return, they're standing around and there's all sorts of grumbling in the crowd, people confused as to what's happening in this moment. I'm speculating, but imagine someone calls out, let's make new gods, right? And at first there's silence. There's no real alternative that anyone's proposing. And so someone else says, yeah, well, let's, that's something. Let's do that. And it starts with a few, and the chant grows until the whole crowd is caught up in this frenzy of now here we have a new direction, and there's, there's excitement in something new. There's excitement in this group think that is infecting the people of Israel in this moment. And so Aaron, one of the leaders of the nation of Israel, in fact, Moses' brother, he says, all right, bring me all of your gold, and he crafts an idol for them. He begins to go back to what they knew before. Having lived in Egypt, they'd seen the many gods of Egypt, and they'd seen the way they're worshipped, and so they go back to what they know in this moment of confusion. I love this phrase, Aaron and the people decide, let's indulge in revelry, right? That's the posture of the Israelite people now in this moment. Well, Moses is up, meeting with God, receiving the law, about to come down and meet them. Their choice is, let's build a golden calf to worship and indulge in revelry. So God responds in verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. 
Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord. He said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he has brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them. And I will be, uh, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. All right. I'd like to first acknowledge the nature of this conversation. It's like um, a negotiation between God and Moses. I've never had this sort of back and forth with God. I don't know if you have. I'll bet you there's a few in the room that would say I have had those sorts of conversations. I've never had this sort of back and forth with God. And yet here Moses is in that moment, God telling him his intent and Moses kicking back. It's remarkable what happens in this text. So uh, it begins with God saying to Moses, your people that you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Did you notice how Moses turned that language back a moment later? And he says to God, your people that you established covenant with. Your people is the language of the text. You see, God sees this stiff-necked people. That's an idiom. It had to do with uh, putting a yoke on um, animals of burden. So a yoke would uh, go over the necks of, of two bulls or cows to pull uh, a plow and, um, and to work the land. But a stiff-necked animal would hold its head back and not allow right, to be, itself to be yoked. And God describes Israel in those terms. He says, they are stiff-necked, they are holding back, they are not participating in what I intend to do in this moment. Your people, Moses, are a stiff-necked people. God gets angry and, and says to Moses, I will destroy them. Now, this seems harsh, and understand there are a lot of cultural realities um, that come into play here, ones that are not natural to us or to our culture. Uh, however, I will clarify, and Sarah spoke a number of weeks ago on, on this, and you can go back in detail and listen to it, but um, spoke of the fact that covenant was, I swear by my life, to uphold my end of covenant. This is what Israel entered into. God says, I would give my life if I broke it, and Israel says, I would give my life if I broke it. And in fact, what God says is, uh, it, go back to Sarah's message, it's beautiful. Um, there's this vision, and God passes through the sacrificed animal, saying, no matter what happens, I would give my life for this covenant, which is a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus to come. It's too much to go into in this moment, but understand the consequence of breaking covenant, which Israel chose, is uh, is death. So God says, I'm going to destroy this people, and Moses, I'm going to start over with you. Moses pleads for the life of the Israelites, and he uses God's own covenant language to do it. He reminds God of your own intent, his own intent when he says, God, you chose Abraham, and you made these promises to him and his descendants. He says, what would Egypt think if you brought these people so powerfully out of their nation and then just destroyed them shortly after. What was your intent, God? Your intent was covenant from the beginning. 
How will the nations receive the blessing promised through Abraham and the Israelite people, God, if you destroy this nation? And so God listens to Moses, and he relents. In verse 15, Moses turned and he went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise and the shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing, I hear. When Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. His anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And, and he took the calf the people had made, and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Then he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron said. Uh, You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and it came out this calf. Okay, this is a hilarious text. Go back and spend a few minutes in, uh, in this text. It's not hilarious. I mean, keep in mind, this is the Israelite people taking on an idol, a god, other than the god that just led them out of Egypt. But the authorship here is quite hilarious, the way the story is tell, told. Uh, is, that, is, that a, is that war in the camp? No, I think it's singing. What is happening down in the camp? They find out there's a calf and confront uh, Aaron, whose only excuse is, it just popped out like that, Right? Come on, Aaron. This is. Have you ever? Uh, have you ever seen that happen? A kid caught red-handed uh, who could not admit to what was happening in that moment. I know you all have, and I've decided not to tell a story about my own children in this morning, in this moment, uh, because that would be inappropriate. But I've been in that situation before. As a young teenager, we were um, we were at a potluck after church, and we were hidden behind the church sign, like the name of the church, right there throwing, I don't remember if it was rocks or hard candy, at cars as they drove by. I mean, this is just brilliant in every respect, right? Kids, do not do this, okay? This is not okay. Uh, We hit a car, and that guy locked up his brakes, right? And so we took off running around the back of the church. We snuck in the back door. We grabbed some food really quick and sat down at a table pretending like we'd been there the whole time. He comes storming into the church building, as you'd imagine. The preacher walks up to see what's going on. He points to us, and we're pulled back into a room uh, to negotiate uh, terms, or I don't know what's going to happen at this moment, right? And uh, we're terrified, and uh, we just deny it. All we could do was say, nope, wasn't us. It just popped out of thin air. I don't know, that, that rock. That wasn't us, right? And uh, he points to me. See, at the time, I had hair halfway down my back. And, and he says, I saw your, your hair as you were running away. That was you. And I mean, just dumbfounded. I am totally caught. There is no one questioning whether or not we were doing this. And all I could do was deny it. And you know what they did? Uh, eventually, the church paid to fix his windshield, and they kind of let us go. 
And I carried guilt from that for so, so long, as I should have. I mean, I could have so easily fessed up in that moment and dealt with it in a more mature manner. But I've been in that moment, like Aaron is. I mean, totally caught red-handed. It was not okay what Aaron was doing or what I was doing in that story. Caught red-handed, and he says, no, I just threw the gold into a furnace, and it popped out in that way. He's passing the blame. He's not taking responsibility for his own uh, fault. Uh, He says, these people, they're prone to evil, but how much more so he, the leader in that moment, leading them in that evil So, Moses sees what's happening, and he throws down the tablets, and they shatter on the ground. Did you hear how the text was so careful to describe them as God wrote these words on the tablets? This was God's writing for the people, and Moses, in his anger, as he sees this golden calf, throws it down, and it shatters on the ground. It's quite representative, quite a a metaphor for what Israel has just done to this covenant. You know, the the covenant laws now lay shattered on the ground as Israel has just shattered their end of the covenant. After all, the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments dealt with exactly what they're doing right now. Have no God before me and make no idol an image of a God. So, um, he shatters the tablets. The covenant could be shattered in this moment as well. And yet God relents, and he doesn't bring destruction. Now, there is consequences. If you go on to read in this text, thousands of people are put to death after this. And the Lord did strike the people with a plague after this as consequence for what they'd done. But God relents and does not destroy the Israelite people in spite of their incredible unfaithfulness. God continues in covenant with the Israelite people. Now, we will see a similar story play out throughout the history of Israel until ultimately God will bring about a new era and redefine covenant in Jesus, in the church, in the invitations extended to each of us. So I think it's relevant today to ask a quick question of ourselves. What does idolatry look like today? It's a shocking story. How could Israel so quickly turn away from their God and to idolatry? But I wonder if we took just a moment today and explored what idolatry might look like in our world and lives to realize maybe we're not so far from where they were in this text. An idol is defined in simple terms as a person or a thing that is greatly admired, revered, honored, or worshipped. Something that we admire, revere, honor, or worship. In the case of idolatry, I think we'd apply that to something that's honored or revered in a way that it takes precedent over God in our lives. So what might idolatry look like? Well, it might look like some possession in our lives that we strove so hard for that now we cherish so, so deeply. It might be a dependency or a fixatedness on a relationship that supersedes or draws us away from God. There's lots of things we could hold above God in our lives that we could choose over Him. Let me ask a few questions, and maybe this will help us each to identify for a moment some of those things in life that are a threat to our continued posture towards God that could be idols in our lives. What do we do when life gets hard? What do we turn to when life gets hard in in our lives? I just think, for yourself for a moment, what do I turn to in my life when things get really hard? What are some of the coping mechanisms 
that I rely on instead of God in my life? What do we spend, what do I spend most of my time or energy on in my life? Now, some of the things coming to our minds are are fine and maybe perfectly good things in our lives. Maybe, Maybe I spend a lot of time walking or riding bikes or exercising or all of these sorts of things, and those are perfectly good and fine things. Some of the things we're probably thinking of are much more negative in our lives. And uh, there might be some some guilt or shame associated with those things. Understand God's invitation is to let go of the guilt, shame, and those things and to turn back to him. That is that is God's promise in whatever we might be feeling as we consider the subject. However, um, some of those things that are good and fine still pose a risk in our lives in that they can take precedence over God in our lives. Right? We, we're so shocked at these Israelite people. Just 40 days later, you're already turning to other gods. And then I think about my own life. And I think about when I'm confused or frustrated or feeling alienated by God, when I don't know how to take a next step, how quickly do I turn to things other than God to either solve the problem or deal with what I'm dealing with? The invitation today is this, to turn towards God. The invitation is that as followers of Jesus, we are invited to turn towards God, that we would not choose anything over him, that nothing would be an idol, that we would not turn to idolatry in our confusion or frustration or whatever we're facing in life, but instead turn towards God. And I would propose this. Walking in the way of Jesus requires a continual decision to follow him. Now, so much of our our church conversation uh, revolves around a moment of salvation, right? That that moment in which we were saved, and there's relevance in that conversation. But please understand, walking in the way of Jesus is going to invite us continually, day after day, to make a decision to continue to walk in His way. Now, this would be a really big burden, and it would start to sound like I'm accomplishing it myself if we just left it in, so do better, decide every day to walk in the way of Jesus. You know, if you're learning an instrument, there's many musicians in here, or if you're learning a new sport, you're familiar with the idea of muscle memory, right? This idea that as I practice something over and over again, it becomes quite natural. My body just knows what to do. So next week, we're going to follow up in the next text in the life of Moses. We're going to talk about muscle memory in terms of our walk with Jesus, our spiritual disciplines, the things that we do in life to just condition ourselves to respond in different ways, to respond out of the presence of God in our lives, to respond with the kind of love that he's demonstrated to us. We're going to talk about kind of a spiritual sort of muscle memory as we discuss spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. Next week, we're going to take communion, one of those beautiful Christian rhythms and practices that draws us back into the presence of God, that that roots us in a place that as we experience life, we find the presence of God in remarkable and new ways. We'll talk more about all that next week. For this week, the subject was idolatry, an Israelite people that quickly turned from God and to other gods. We in our lives risk doing the same thing on a continual basis. God loves you. God has invited you. And for many of us in this room, we have chosen to walk with him. So the invitation is to put aside those things that are, that are burdening us, those things that are drawing us away from him and say, God, you will be number one in my life.
And let me, let me mention, when it comes to things like addiction, those sorts of things, yes, let's pray. And at times we'll find healing for that. But also know there are wonderful counselors and ways of dealing with some of these, this baggage and burdens and things that draw us away from God, addictions that continue to plague our lives. But the message is today, we are invited to choose God over everything else, whatever it looks like to take that next step in life. Please prayerfully consider it. And if you'd like people to walk with you as you make new commitments and take, take next steps in life, uh, know myself and Jamie, my wife Sarah, who's home right now, and so many other leaders in this church would love to pray with you and walk with you as we move towards God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity. We thank you, God, even for a challenging text and one that might be quite convicting. Uh, God, where there is guilt or where there is hurt or where there's fear or frustration, we invite you, Spirit, to bring peace and joy and love and hope. Um, God, where there is uh, idolatry in our lives, things that are taking your place, God, I pray that you will convict us. Will you also invite us into new understanding, new hope, new ways of living and walking? Jesus, we thank you for your demonstration of what it is uh, to be and to walk in the way of God. We thank you for your kingdom and an invitation that we might live in your way. Uh, God, go with us today. Um, Teach us uh, that we might uh, walk with you and know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.